Good evening to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Today we are in Genesis chapter 2, and we are basically going to discuss a subject, the subject of the Sabbath. It may take uh, three or four programs because it's a very long subject. And uh, now and then as we go through the scriptures from Genesis to uh, Deuteronomy, uh, when there is a need to, a verse or two or three may turn into a subject or a few, a few uh, programs. And in this case, the subject is, as I said, the Sabbath. It is a very extremely important one, and therefore I think I'd like to cover it in this way. In chapter 2 we read, Thus the heavens and the earth, and all the hosts of them were finished. Now notice the linking between that and the subject that comes next to it in verse 2. And on the seventh day, God, that is Elohim, ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done, constantly pointing to him, then God, or Elohim, blessed the seventh day, not the eighth, not the sixth, not the fourth, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Didn't sanctify any other day. Because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So he's pointing our attention to what God did. Not what man is doing. It is his work. It is his day. It is his creation. He did it. He sanctified it. Therefore, it is up to us, in essence he's saying, to keep that day and no other day as his holy day. And so he made it a holy day. And then verse 4, remember, verse 1, where it does, does the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the days of the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. You see the linking of the two? The finishing of the creation. And is, as in the previous program, we discussed the different fulfillments of the, of the finishing of the heavens and the earth, which culminate with the end time fulfillment, fulfillment of it. That is when all of humanity will be spirit beings. And so in verse 1 it begins with that. He enters the subject in between. And then he ends up with verse 4, again speaking about the heavens and the earth. That is very important to understand. Because all of these are linked and the Sabbath is in between. The Sabbath is the link between the first creation and the final creation of men, of the new heaven and earth. So, something that we should be noticing as we go along, and we'll have a greater understanding of what it really means. Now, Israel understood, specifically the house of Judah, they understood that the sins of the Sabbath, that is, defiling the Sabbath, the sins that were related to the pollution of the Sabbath, led to captivity of Israel, that is, among all the other, all the other sins. But the Sabbath was extremely important. They realized that because of the pollution of the Sabbath, which led to idolatry, the captivity was the result. In other words, destruction comes when men does not keep the Sabbath. And that is, in essence, what the ultimate is all about. That's why the Sabbath is very important. The Sabbath was put in the middle of the Ten Commandments, in the part that has to do with the royal law of the love toward God, not in the part that has to do with the love toward men. And that is also very important. Why is it placed in that order? 
the Sabbath also was made to be a covenant even prior to Sinai. It was a part of the spiritual law. And so it was very important to understand and to realize what it is all about. The Sabbath was given also as a sign. Now later on the Jewish rabbis came up with this, uh, this statement that it was not the Jew who kept the Sabbath all this time. No, no. It was the Sabbath that kept the Jew. And as we go through it, we'll understand more and more why. So, we need to ask ourselves, why is the Sabbath so important to God? Why is it that he emphasizes it more than any other holiday or doctrine or any other teaching? Why is the Sabbath a part of the spiritual law that says you shall love your God with all of your heart and mind? And how should the people of God treat the Sabbath and keep it holy? It is very important that we should ask these questions and answer them. Why is it that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, called himself just that, Lord of the Sabbath? That's in essence, he's giving himself a name there. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, when you refer to Jesus Christ, you can refer to him also, the Lord of the Sabbath. That's his name, among others. It's very important. You see, he kept that day, and he said that he is the Lord of that day, and he commanded his people from the beginning of time to keep that day. And yet, the time will come when those people who rejected that day, and there are some of them among us today, who claim we don't need to keep that day anymore. It's not holy. It's not necessary. No, he says, in that day, when you come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I will tell you, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You see, among other things, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Why do you address me as Lord, Lord? When you do not keep my covenant, you do not keep my Sabbath, you do not keep my law. And so after the captivity, the Jews realized the importance of the Sabbath to God. They didn't realize how important it was to Him. And so they took it very lightly. And so they realized that the keeping of the Sabbath will keep the relationship with their God. But the breaking of the Sabbath would lead to total idolatry, to total breakdown of the relationship with God, to total sin. And so in realizing that, they decided, never again, never again will we break the Sabbath in such a way that God will, in essence, throw us out of his sight. He threw them out of the house. He threw them into captivity. They never wanted to go through that again. The reality is that man is man. And man has a tendency to go from one extreme to the other. And that's, in essence, what happened with many of them. Not all of them. In deciding never again, they began to create barriers around the Sabbath, and for that matter, around the law. And that is a tendency of human nature. And so, they became in their misguided zeal. They became keepers of the Sabbath, not in the sense that God meant for it to be, but in the self-righteous way, where everything became don't, 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 don't. Well, people don't like to hear that. Don't, 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 that's contrary to human nature, where everything is don't. And so they invented the Sabbath of don'ts, and that is a part of them. In essence, you might say that two philosophies that had been there from the beginning of time, in terms of the relationship with God and His law and the Sabbath. One philosophy is the philosophy of don't. And so people take the law and clobber people over the head with it, because of all the don'ts. And the other philosophy is the do. In other words, it's not just 
that I can't and I can't and I can't. But what is it that I can do that is right, that is pleasing, that is wholesome? You see? Two contradictory philosophies. Now, when Jesus condemned the misguided zeal of the people of his time, that especially the ones who were more guilty in that, this is what he was condemning. The philosophy of don't. Don't, don't, don't. Instead of, as God says, I want you to love the Lord God with all of your heart and mind. And that cannot be done on the basis of constantly don't, 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 or I can't and I can't. And so, at that time, if you know history, the history of that time, there were in essence two philosophies that were based on two houses of teachings that were in essence around two rabbis, two great rabbis at the time. One was called Hillel, one was called Shammai. And so there was the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai. And the house of Shammai, being the strict of the strict, the Pharisee of the Pharisee, so to speak, where everything was don't, 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 that was the emphasis in essence, well, they led people in that direction and in the process they alienated many people from the law of God and from the Sabbath of God. People began to resent it. And that's what Paul was saying. I bear them witness in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, bearing witness to his own people, that they have the zeal of God, but he said, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not what God intended to be. He intended for it to be a labor of love, not a burden, not a hassle, that causes people to resent his law. You see, because that leads to a hostile mentality. And to this day, there are even people in our own midst having that hostile mentality toward the Sabbath. And so they ended up by saying, no, we don't need to keep it anymore. We're spiritual. And that was a result of that. They've been clobbered in the wrong way with the Sabbath instead of being taught the love of the Sabbath. With the philosophy of Jewism instead of the philosophy of the don'ts. And that's why, in essence, even about the law, we read the scripture that the carnal mind in Romans 8, 7 is not, is an enmity, that is the, Roman, uh, the natural mind. Is enmity against the law of God, it is not subject to it, nor indeed can be. And the reason is, when people take the law and clobber people over the head with it, that's what happens, people resent it. But if you are teaching the love of the law and the love of the Sabbath, then people love it. You see? And in the house of Hillel, they tended to look at the Sabbath and in essence of the law, not perfectly, they had their own problems too, but they, they began to look at the Sabbath as a time for a date with God. It became a romantic concept. And later on, when we come to Jacob and Rachel, we shall uh, use that as an example. The love that they had between these two. That was a labor of love between them. And it was a philosophy of do's, another philosophy of don'ts. And so the house of Hillel emphasized the philosophy of the do's. All the good things that you can do on the Sabbath to rejoice before God. Not all the things that we can't and you can't and you can't do that causes people to hate it. And that is very important when we teach the law, when we teach anything, when we teach our children, whatever we do in life, that we use the philosophy of the do's, all the good things that we can do, emphasize the positive in essence, not the negative. And so the first group, in one sense, you might say, missed the point. And the second group was in the ballpark. They understood the purpose of the Sabbath. They had a greater understanding of the purpose of the law. That's why the house of Hillel always emphasized the royal law of love, God with all of your heart and mind, and love your neighbor. And they were not as much condemned 
by, by Jesus Christ and by the apostles as the other house that tended to be more the strict of the strict and therefore the persecuted people when they didn't follow their so-called conservative line. So the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. And that the Hillel house understood better. And again, let's ask, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? How should it be kept? Why is it so important to God? And can an improper Sabbath keeping prevent us from being in the Sabbath, that is, in the kingdom, in the millennium, in the day of rest? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56, where we read this about the Sabbath. In Isaiah 56, this is what God says in verse 1, and we continue throughout the chapter, because here he's going to speak not only about his own people, but also all nations. And not only about his people and all nations, but even to those who he himself said should not come to the temple. The ones that were called the rejects, so to speak. Had all kind of uh, infirmities, they were maimed, uh, they were deformed, all kind of things like that. Well, anyway, this is what we read here in chapter 56, and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, this is not man, this is not a rabbi, this is not a Jew, this is God. Thus says the Lord, to those who say, Lord, Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. So he's talking about the future. Remember the link of the Sabbath to the end result, to the millennium, to the kingdom? Always remember that. God is always linking the two. That's why it's very important to him. He says, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed Revealed in us, we are keeping it. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it. On what? Who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. That's very important. And keeps his hand from doing any evil. Because the people that defile the Sabbath, that do not learn what they are supposed to be learning on the Sabbath, are going to end up doing evil. Verse 3, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And that was true. As long as there were not the people of God, the chosen people, of whom God said, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, that's the way other nations felt. I have no hope. I have no choice. He says, no, don't say that anymore. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Because God himself separated Israel from the rest of the nations. Nor let the eunuch, now he's talking about the rejects, the people that had deformities or remained that were not allowed to come into, her, into the temple. He says, Let not the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose that which pleases me, not themselves, and hold fast my covenant. What covenant is he talking about? Covenant of the Sabbath in specific. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. You all heard about the uh, special place in Israel where they commemorate the death and the destruction of the Jewish community in Europe, in Nazi Germany. That's called Yad Vashem. This is, what it, this is where it came from. And within my walls, a place 
and a name, Yad Vashem in Hebrew, better than that of sons and daughters. Remember the children of the kingdom. If they do not keep the Sabbath, if they do not keep the teachings of the Sabbath, they will not enter into the Sabbath. And so it says, even the eunuch will have a better name than those children of the kingdom. If they keep the Sabbath and the teachings of the Sabbath and the covenant of the Sabbath and the rest of the covenant. It says, and I will give them an everlasting name. This is speaking about eternity, eternal reward. That shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner. You see, all the rest of humanity who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord. To be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, not Sunday, not Monday, not Tuesday, not Thursday, but the Sabbath, the seventh day, the one that I sanctified, God says. Those who keep that Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain, to my kingdom, into my Sabbath, into the millennium, into the 1,000 years of reign of the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why he called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the coming kingdom, of the coming millennium, of the coming 1,000 years, where God shall be the Lord of over all the earth. This is the ultimate meaning of it. So he says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices, physical and spiritual in the future, will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather, gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. In other words, beside all the children of Israel, he is going to also bring other nations. This is what began to be preached 2,000 years ago. That the door was now opened not only to Israel, it's, yes, it is to the Jew first, to Israel first, but also to the other nations. That's in essence what he's speaking about. But remember, he says, the condition is, among other things also, if you keep the Sabbath, not if you keep your own day, but if you keep the Sabbath and the covenant related to it, and the one that is taught on that Sabbath day, only then, that's a condition. It's not just grace and love. It's not just believe, believe in the Lord, you see? And so people misunderstand that. That is very important. And so this is what he's telling us. It's very important to remember those things. So another door is open for, open for all of humanity. And later on, the Apostle Paul would address the very same subject to all of humanity. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verses 1 and so forth. And this is what Paul is saying relating to the same subject. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, that is, into his Shabbat, his Sabbath, the seventh day, the one that God sanctified, which is leading toward the future, he says, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel or the message or the tidings, the good news, was preached to us as well as to them, that is, to us in this generation Hebrews, as well to all the Hebrews that lived in the past. The nation of Israel. It was preached to them also. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, God gave them the Sabbath. God gave them the covenant. But they didn't have the faith to keep it. They were not willing to keep it. And so they corrupted the Sabbath. They corrupted the covenant of God, the law of God. And they had to pay the penalty for it. So it says in verse 3, For we who have believed... 
We Hebrews, because it's addressed to the Hebrews, and for that matter, all mankind, all those individuals. God wasn't calling the nations, he was calling individuals among the nations. So the door at that time was not open to the nations, no more than it was open to all of Israel. You see, they were all concluded in blindness. But individuals, the first fruit, one here and one there, they are the ones that he's speaking about. Some people thought that God was now opening the door for all mankind. No, he was not. That was not the time yet. Only individuals among them. That's why he called them the little flock. And so he says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's what God is saying to David. And that's what David recorded in the Psalms. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Remember as we said in chapter 2, of Genesis, verse 1, he begins with the creation and the finishing of the creation. Then he injects the Sabbath. Then he ends up again in verse 4 with the creation. And the Sabbath is in between. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, as we just read, in this way. And God rested on the seventh. Not on the eighth. Not on the sixth. Not on the fourth. Not on any other day. But on the seventh day. From all of his works. And again, in this place, they shall not, that is, going back to the Psalms, as he speaks to David, they shall not enter my rest, that's my Sabbath, because they were defiling it. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter into it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, speaking about the land of Israel, that was, in essence, the Sabbath to them, the place of rest, the place of keeping a glorious life, beautiful life with their creator that became sort of their garden of Eden, their Sabbath their millennium, their kingdom they rebelled in the wilderness so they did not enter into that physical one so it says just in verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience again it designates a certain day saying in David Today, after such a long time as it has been said. In other words, Paul is trying to explain here that the rest of the Sabbath that God had ultimately in mind was that which is to come, not the physical one that Israel entered into. And so he's saying, verse 7 again, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And we are very much painfully aware of the fact that there are many in our midst who do harden their hearts, who used to keep the Sabbath, and I have rejected it, and said, we don't need to keep it anymore, we're spiritual. We have no need for it. And God is saying to them, as he said in that generation, do not harden your hearts, he says to them, and he's saying to every one of us, concerning the Sabbath, and concerning the law of God, and the covenant of God. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore remains a Sabbath, for the people of God. The Sabbath is coming, but those who do not keep it today are not going to enter into the full, the epitome of it, the fulfillment of it. In verse 10, For he who has entered into his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. And those who are entering into the presence of God and keep the Sabbath of God, just like God ceased working after the six days, so must people today, or any given generation, cease from their works of the six days and enter into the Sabbath of God. Or in the spiritual sense, 
we must cease from the works of men, which are not the works of God. That is from disobedience to the law of God and do the works of God. That is obedience to the law of God, keeping of the covenant, keeping of the teachings of the Sabbath. So it is very important. And that gives us more and more knowledge and understanding why the Sabbath is very important. So he says in verse 11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that Sabbath. And you cannot be diligent in entering into the Sabbath when to begin with many people do not even keep it. And are not observing it anymore as they used to. So he says, Let us not therefore be diligent uh, let us therefore be diligent to enter into that race, and that's a process, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, that is, is the children of Israel themselves, fell from that example of disobedience. For the word of God, he says, is a living word, it's a powerful one, it's a sharper one than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the, and the spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of hearts. In other words, it knows exactly the word of God speaking about Jesus Christ himself in this, in this case. As you remember, we covered uh, the subject, who is this, uh, the Spirit of God. In the specific concept that he gives here, he's speaking about, about the God that became the word, known as the word that became flesh. You see? He says, this God, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, knows exactly why people disobey the Sabbath. Why people say we don't have to keep it anymore? Why people say, well, we are spiritual, we don't need it? He knows the intents. He knows what's really behind it. Nobody can deceive him, in other words. He knows the exact reasons for it, and nobody's going to mock God. And those who want to enter into his race, into his Sabbath, must keep the Sabbath to begin with. And that's what, in essence, he's telling his people. And that's why Paul is warning them. Be diligent, and keep the Sabbath. And so... We continue with chapter, uh, again, we go back to Genesis and chapter 2, where we read the rest of the story. That is, we continue with the story. And so in chapter 2, we read in uh, verse 15, after the creation of the Sabbath. Well, actually, uh, before we get to that, we're going back to verse uh, Verse 8. Well, while we're on the subject of the Sabbath here, let's go back again to uh, Isaiah. Let's continue with the story of Isaiah here, and then we'll come back to Genesis. Isaiah chapter uh, 58, where God says in verses 13 and 14, speaking about the Sabbath, he says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, that is, it's a Hebrew idiom, uh, when you set your foot to work, that means when you go to the field and you work, you know, you walk to the field and you work uh, in your field, that is, you work in uh, the vineyard, you work in uh, the orchard. In other words, your foot is taking you over there. So that was used as an idiom of going to work. So it says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, in other words, if you stop working on the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, this is my holy day, not yours, God is saying, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable and shall honor him. In other words, when you come to this day, you stop working and now you work for God. You work with God. Whatever you do is between you and him. You see? That's what he's saying here. 
And you shall honor him, not doing your own worries, no finding your own pleasure. It's okay to have all kinds of pleasures during the six days of the week. You go hiking, you go swimming, you go fishing, you go, you go to the movies, you go all, do all those things. Nothing wrong with that. That's your six days. But he says, when you come to my day, you do things with me, not apart from me. You don't do your own thing. Now you do our thing. And that's in essence what he's saying. The difference between your thing and my thing is what the Sabbath teaches us. And so he says, no finding your own pleasure, no speaking your own words. He says, if you do that, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and will cause you, and I will cause you to ride on the hills of the earth. And so God said, I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so God makes it very plain. He's the one that is going to see to it that all those who keep the Sabbath, all those who make it a day of delight, all those who obey God, all those who seek it with their whole being and heart, they are going to be in the final destination that the Sabbath symbolizes. That's the ultimate Sabbath, the coming kingdom. And the keeping of the Sabbath, God demands that it must be done with all that is in us, as I call it, the four dimensions of love. Now remember what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your might and your soul. In the book of Luke, somebody came, uh, we read about someone who came to Jesus Christ and asked him about the great commandments. In chapter 10 and verse 27, and basically... The God of Israel, in that occasion, uh, being uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, said to him, just like he told Moses, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, and with all of your mind. In other words, the totality of what we are made of. And that's why I call it the four dimensions. And so, in keeping the Sabbath, we must put everything into it. And then it becomes a labor of love, and not a burden, not a hassle. Let's go back to the story of Jacob to illustrate an example of what a labor of love means. Remember the story of Jacob when he was in, uh, in the country of uh, Syria, going back to his uh, uncle Laban. He went over there fleeing from his brother Esau. And when he approached, remember the story, he approached uh, the territory where Laban lived, he saw Rachel coming to the well and immediately fell in love with her and he wanted to marry her. And so he told her father that he's willing to work for her. And those are the wages that he wanted to work for. And so when the wedding night supposedly came for him and Rachel to be married, he woke up in the morning and found out that it was Leah instead of Rachel. And so Laban told him, well, if you really love Rachel, you're going to work for her another seven years, and then I'll give her to you also. And Jacob was willing to do anything because he loved uh, Rachel so much. And so the way he describes it, it's as if nothing was to it. In other words, it was so easy for him to do it because he loved her very much. And so we read in verse 20 of chapter 29 of Genesis. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. That is, beside the other seven years that he served previously for Leah, 
thinking that he's serving for Rachel. And he said, and we read that he served another seven years for Rachel, and they, that is, those seven years, seemed only a few days. Imagine that seven years in his sight were only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. In other words, his whole being and heart was in that love, and that became a labor of love. And the seven years became like a few days. But mind you, those seven years were not necessarily very easy. It may seem to be that it was very easy, but it was not. Though there seemed to be only a few days, it was not an easy seven years. And so when we go to chapter 31, in the chapter we flees from Laban, and the Laban pursues him and catches him, this is what he tells Laban, that all the time that he worked for him was not easy, and it was not only the seven years, the whole period of time. But in verse 38 he says, These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by the beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and in the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. So sort of, of a hard labor that he was going through, miserable conditions, cold and hot. It was not an easy time. And yet, he says that it was so such a labor of love for him. In other words, he loved her so much that in one way it was just like a few days that he worked for Rachel. And that's in essence what a labor of love is. And so when we love God with all of our being and heart, when we love the Sabbath, when we understand what it means, it's no longer a burden, as some people made it to be. It's not a hassle. It's something that passes as a matter of fact, the whole period of time and 24 hours of the Sabbath will seem to be only a few minutes because you're having so much fun. The time passes so fast. Time will pass very slowly only when we are not happy. Only when we think, oh, what a long day. What is it going to be over so I can do, do my own thing? Well, that's not what God wants to see in us. And so to develop a love and understanding for the Sabbath, let's study another story of the Sabbath because there is a very interesting story. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, we read that God says, that is Elohim, let us make men. That means the two of them are speaking. And they say, let us make men in our image, in our likeness. The ultimate purpose of it, we find out when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 28. So that the Father, that at the end of the millennium, the Father will come to the point where he's going to be all and in all. In other words, the fulfillment, the epitome of Genesis 1.26, let us create men in our image and our likeness, a process that is happening between the one that became known as the Father and the one that became known as Christ, will finally be fulfilled by this statement that the Father will be all and in all. In other words, there is going to be a time where all of humanity will be one with God, and God will be one with all. So that was, in essence, sort of a love affair between the Father and the Son. Of course, at this time, they are not known as such. <clears throat> but it is between these two. And the result of that love, you might say, was a baby. Mankind. 
You see, when people love each other so much, they cannot contain themselves, they want to duplicate themselves. And that's when the children come. And that's in essence what they were headed for. And so, as the one that became Christ, as Jesus Christ, as the God of Israel, as the Creator, prepared the earth, after they had decided to bring forth a baby, so to speak, mankind, to create men in their image and in their likeness, which is the great desire of every couple, as they love their, uh, each other so very much. He looked at the whole creation and he says in chapter 1, verse 31, it was all, in essence it says, all is very good. Everything was very good, in other words, everything was there now, for that beautiful, perfect plane that they had. And so we have three players here in one sense, at this point. We find God, we find the one that became the Son, introducing uh, chapter 1, verse 2, as the Spirit that was hovering above the waters, and it is by the Spirit, by that Spirit, by that, uh, the second member of the Elohim family that God created all things. And then we find the bride, the beginning of the bride, men, Adam, Adam and Eve, after that came the children. And after that later on came Israel. And after that come all the nations of the earth. And so you have in essence here a trinity. The true trinity. God, the Son, and the Bride. And that's the reality of the true trinity that God has introduced from the beginning of time. But then somebody entered into the picture and began to pervert every teaching, including this real truth about the trinity, which is God, the Son, and the Bride. These are the three. And to integrate these three, there was a necessity for a special place. And so in the creation week, we see the beginning of that. Then there was a need for the day, and so the Sabbath is being introduced. And then there is a need for the instructions which were given on the Sabbath day, and for that matter, the rest of the time. But it's specific. On the Sabbath day, that's when people come before God to be taught of God. Six days, they do their labor, they do their work. But on the Sabbath day, they come and devote it totally to God. That's how the relationship is. And so the ultimate will be, as Jesus Christ said in his last prayer to the Father, in John 17, that all those things that he came to accomplish were to the end, as he says that, I in you, that is in the Father, and you, Father, are in me. And he was praying that they too, his disciples, the beginning of the bride, the first fruit of the bride, will be also in us, and all those who come after them. In other words, that the bride may be in us as we are in one another. And that's when the totality, that's when the true trinity becomes a reality. Where God and Jesus Christ and the bride become one. That's what it means, three in one. Not the corrupted concept that came later on that became the great deception in which the majority of those who call themselves Christians today are still in. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 and 3. And we read about the creation. And what led into the future. And so we read in chapter 2 and verses 1 and 3. But the Sabbath and after that we come to verse 7. 
And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's how the spirit in man entered into Adam. And man became a living being or living soul. In verse 8, so the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. You see, it is in that place, the special place, that God was going to begin the process that would lead to the ultimate of the, of the reality where God, the Son, and the Bride become one. And so the future also, in the millennium, there is a description that the earth will become, and especially Jerusalem and the area around it, is the Garden of Eden, as it was before. And that was the purpose of it. And so in verse 9 we read, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant, to the sight and good for the food. In other words, he is creating an environment that is appealing to the senses, the totality of the senses, because the senses are extremely important, both physically and spiritually, in the worship of God. Everything has to be delightful, delicate, pleasant, attractive, seductive. As David would say, taste and see how good is the Lord. And so God was preparing that environment. Because it is in that environment that God wants to have a relationship with the bride. Not in the ugly world that we live in today. Result of inequity and corruption. Result of covetousness and greed on the part of men. Destroying the earth, polluting everything. And so we have a creation of ghettos and slums and shanty towns. And poor neighborhoods. And miserable conditions in which men live polluted environment and planet. God never meant for it to be that way. The Sabbath and the relationship with men, his children, were to be in a glorious setting. And that is a part of the story of the Sabbath. And so we read that he planted, in verse 9, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His fathers would tell us, that the law of God, the truth of God, the way of God is like a tree of life. And all of its fruits are pleasant. That's not something to be detestable or contemptible, as men made it to be. It is a glorious setting. And so we read in verse 15, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, not to destroy it, not to pollute it, not to let it go down the drain, so to speak not to corrupt the earth, but to make it a glorious, beautiful, majestic, magnificent place for the relationship that God was going to have with men. In other words, for the relationship of the bridegroom and the bride, which men became. That was the beginning of the story. It was a house that the bride is to keep and to dress and to beautify. That was the loveness, so to speak. That was the place of worship. It was not a cave, it was not a monastery, it was not a dark structure, it was not a slum or a ghetto or anything like that. God never had in mind for humanity to live in such conditions. And so he made it very plain what kind of setting he wants for the bride and the bridegroom to have. And all things filtered into the physical marriages. Those are the instructions also for the physical marriage. Everything has to be glorious and beautiful and for the wife to keep the house beautiful and magnificent. And that's why the teachings came later on, that the wife to be the keeper of the house. It's not 
that you should be always barefoot in, in the kitchen. That's not what he meant. What he meant is for the bride, for the wife, for the mother to be in charge of the house, to keep it glorious, to keep it beautiful, to keep it clean, to make it a love nest, to make it a beautiful place for the relationship, for the courtship. And it doesn't mean that you cannot go outside and do all kinds of other things once that was accomplished. But the reality is, as time went by, because of iniquities, the world and modern Babylon and ancient Babylon that corrupted this concept of the relationship, of the purpose of the wife, of the purpose of the loveness, of the courtship, of the Sabbath, and so forth. It was, it was a, a relationship of love between God and man. It was a relationship of love to be between man and between a woman, between a husband and between, between a wife, beginning with Adam and Eve. It was to be a glorious loveness. And so, they were commanded to dress it and to keep it. And what came after that, now that he have the creation, now that he have a special day, now that he have a special place, that was going to lead toward the marriage. And so we read in Genesis 2.25, therefore, well actually in uh, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and that's where the marriage takes place. And they shall become one flesh. That's how two become one. That's how three become one. And that's not a mystery. That's a very simple thing. That's a description of when people become one, when God and men become one, when the father and the son and the bride become one. This is the reality of it. It's a union of the minds, union of the hearts, union of purpose, of destiny, of hope, of dreams, of thinking alike. That's what the mystery is all about. Since this is a natural break, I'm going to start at this point, and so until next time, greetings again to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.